Welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm your host, Taylor Velazquez. It's election time with early voting in full swing and election day is less than two weeks away. Eight candidates will be vying for three seats on the Albuquerque Public Schools Board. The district has struggled with its fair share of teacher shortages, falling test scores, and only four out of 10 high school students are proficient in English and writing skills, with just under a fourth proficient in math. The district has seen enrollment drop by 11% in the past three years. District 1 covers the Atrisco Heritage Academy High School and Rio Grande High School areas, which is currently represented by Yolanda Montoya Cordova, who is not seeking re-election. Janelle Jamie Astorga, Verlin Coker, and Robert Trujillo will be vying for the seat, and they all are here with us this morning. District 2 covers the west side area, which is the areas of Cibola High School and Volcano Vista High School. The district is currently represented by Peggy Mueller-Aragon, who is seeking re-election. Mrs. Mueller-Aragon said she had a school board business this meeting and could not join us. Rolanda Tomorito and Adrian Nogales are challenging her for the seat. District 4 covers the Southeast Heights, which is an area of the Highland High School. The district is represented by Barbara Peterson, who is not seeking re-election. The candidates are vying for the seat are Heather Benavides and Stephen Checo. Mr. Checo declined to participate in today's show. This morning, we'll be asking each of the candidates what their goals are if elected into their respective seats, what their thoughts are on the current state of education in New Mexico, and how they plan to serve the largest school district in the state. Also, the candidates are elected who will be elected will be part of the board decision of selecting APS's next superintendent. We also want to hear from you. Are you a parent? What changes would you like to see in Albuquerque's public schools? Or are you a student? What support would you like to see to help you learn and succeed? Email us at letstalk at KUNM.org or call in live at 277-5866. And this morning, I'm going to start with my first guest. Uh, for first guest this morning, joining me live in studio is Verlin Coker, who represents District 1, which covers the Atrisco Heritage Academy High School and Rio Grande High School area. We also have Jamie, or Janelle Jamie Astorga and Robert Trujillo joining us via Zoom. Good morning, all, and welcome to the show. And my first question for you all is, what is your experience within the education field or do you have any other life experiences that have steered you toward education policy and what would your priorities be in the, if elected to the seat? And Verlin, we'll start with you. Okay, sure. Um, I am a substitute teacher uh, right now at APS. Um, I've also been doing advocacy for going on about five years now, um, usually for students and families occasionally. Um, I will step in for teachers and advocate for them um, when they have their issues and the union doesn't really meet their needs. Um, by and large, sort of what I do is attend IEP meetings um, as witnesses with family, uh, help with behavioral intervention plans. Um, and just generally advocate for uh, students and families. Um, as far as, uh, what was the question exactly? Uh, my goals for APS, I guess. Yes. Um, I think there's, well, there's no shortage of vacancies uh, that we have in the district. Um, we are last in the nation uh, when it comes to the state for a reason. And a lot of that is on APS's shoulders. And so for my goals, it's in general, just to get us to a point where we are the educational leader that I believe that we should be. I think that we have a very diverse district that has a lot of strengths, and these strengths can be utilized to help us uh, build an actual 21st century district. We have a lot of highly engaged teachers and highly engaged students that we're not really uh, really utilizing, um, and these are sort of the things that I want to get. Um, I'm currently working on a uh, new teacher training program um, to try to figure out how to implement that to the district to make sure that our teachers are ready. Um, as well, there's a lot of logistical changes, everything from scheduling, truancy policies, um, and uh, generally the, the cultures of our schools and how much we don't really involve uh, families, how much we don't really involve students in their own education as well. Um, there's a lot of work to be done um, if I were to list every <laughs> uh, goal and aspiration that, that we should have for uh, our, our youth and our district. Uh, we could be here all day, but in general, that is sort of is my focus, is getting us to the place where uh, we can actually call ourselves educational leaders. And Robert, I'm going to turn this question to you. There's no shortages of challenges that APS is going through. It's also the state's largest school district. So can you tell us a little bit more about you and your background and what you would like to accomplish if elected? Uh, yes, yeah, so um, I'm just a little bit about myself. So I'm, you know, born and raised here in the South Valley. Um, I've been working with the community for 25 years. Um, 
just with the South Valley community here in District 1, um, most of all District 1. And I've been learning the, um, I guess, the, the problems, the issues with this district um, firsthand. And what I see a lot of is uh, just the issues the families have. There's uh, a lot of, you know, we can we can talk about, you know, what curriculum we want to use. We can talk about all this different stuff. But when a child is coming into school unprepared to learn, the all those other things that that were, you know, people want to change, they're not going to be as effective if a kid's worried about if he's eaten that morning, if he's been abused, if he has a safe place to live. Um, those are things that we gotta that we really have to work on here in this district. Um, it's not a one size fits all. Um, there's a lot of different issues going on, and those um, some of them I've lived through. Um, I've seen. I've grown up here with uh, with the parents, with the teachers. Um, my kids uh, have grown up with all the other kids around here. So you know. I've, I've just been seeing all the all the issues firsthand and there's a lot of things we've got to work on in district one um, the absentees why why are kids not able to make it to school in the first place um, those are the things that I really want to concentrate on and that's for the for the younger kids the the um, and early childhood um, is a very very big important uh, thing to work on. But also for the for the high school kids, um, there's been a big push to only go to college, and uh, we need to get uh, a lot of these kids into um, apprenticeship programs with the unions. I'm a small uh, small business owner, a contractor, and I see that firsthand every day as well. Uh, just trying to get a workforce. I've seen a lot of businesses here in the South Valley, a lot of construction businesses go out of business because they don't have the workers. The work is there, the money is there, um, but the workforce is not. And that's something that we definitely got to start instilling back into our kids, um, as even as early as middle school. Uh, and that way we can build another uh, strong workforce. And so those are, those are just a couple of things. Again, you know, family involvement though, I've been working with since for, at least 18 years with APS and the community schools grant um, to try to get more parents involved, so and uh, and get them involved in their in their child's learning. And Robert, or you just mentioned a lot of what we're going to be covering this hour. So I'm going to head on to my next question just to dig deeper. APS has a record high budget this fiscal year, totaling $2.1 billion. Some of that budget, specifically the operational fund, amounts to almost $1 million and will be covering raises for employees, minimum, minimum salaries for educational assistance, and funding additional instruction time for all students. How should we be spending the rest of this money and how will you ensure if elected that this money will be well spent? And Verland, what are your thoughts on the budget? Yeah, um, goodness. Well, when it comes to what we spend it on, I have been in school board meetings for the past uh, four or five years. Um, and I've noticed there's a pattern when it comes to like bids, particularly around technology, particularly around um, instituting uh, any sort of outsourcing um, resources. And I've, I've noticed that a lot of the board members functionally get scammed because they don't really understand what educational technology even looks like. Um, we even got caught up in the uh, Stapleton fiasco a couple of years ago, uh, not just because she was a former employee of APS, but um, we had also purchased this testing program from one of her shell companies. Um, and that program was not only underutilized, it was also very poor for educational outcomes to begin with. Um, it reinforced the uh, standardized testing sort of uh, modality that we do for education. Uh, it wasn't even effective to begin with. Um, and I've noticed that when it comes to budget and capital outlay, uh, how we spend the money is just as important as what money that we do get. Um, right now, we need a very large uh, restructuring of our uh, transportation dis uh, department. Um, right now, the bus companies are completely incapable of hiring enough bus drivers. Um, and I don't think it's a funding issue uh, because right now bus drivers are coming in with 
higher paid than me as a substitute teacher, um, even though I could fill in for an entire year, functionally be a full-time teacher, um, which is its own issue with the outsourcing to Kelly Services, a notoriously anti-union um, company. Um, there's, oh goodness, there's so much in the budget that really needs to be looked at. I mean, we have had, I've seen videos of uh, schools where the water comes out brown in their sinks. You know, I, I when I went to school, I was in portables for uh, most of the time that I was there. And especially now with, you know, the, the, the post-pandemic, our concerns about HVAC has gone relatively unheard. Um, I'll go to schools as a substitute teacher and see these giant air conditioners that are like duct taped to vents as some weird form of HVAC. Um, and it, it's just, it, it, it's quite shameful, really, that we, we put our kids in these sort of like very, I don't know, squalor almost in, in, in their educational system. And as much as uh, APS tends to blame the community for uh, student living conditions or their, their home environment, we're really not taking care of them either. And so to me, the budget needs to be put into evergreen uh, infrastructure, it, also being mindful of you know the current climate crisis, ensure that everything that we build is um, green. Uh, you know, carbon neutral at the very least. Um, on top of that, we desperately need to expand a lot of our schools. Um, one of the weirder connections to all of this is that we claim to want to have smaller classroom sizes, but when a school sees low enrollment, quote unquote, um, and the classroom sizes therein uh, go down, our reaction is to close the school and then <laughs> increase classroom sizes in another one, filter those students into those schools. And it brings to mind the question of whether or not low classroom sizes are actually a goal, whether or not these things are, are something that we actually want. And it's it, there's such a it feels like we're trying to save money, not trying to actually provide a service. And it's been a very frustrating past four or five years seeing this in the board where it feels like kids come second. And Robert, I'm going to ask you the same question. We have this record high budget, but how will you plan to use it? Um, so I, I um, do agree with uh, Vernon there on all the um, on all the issues that APS does have with their um, with their facilities. Um, again, as a small business owner, I walk through you know schools and I do see all the problems. I, I you know uh, talk with the principals and see how many work orders are put in and. Um, the safety of our children and the comfort of our children in the classrooms should be APS's main concern um, to get these classrooms to be a place where our children can thrive. And that would be, that would be the first thing that I look at with, um, with this budget and how we can get these schools to, uh, to have the most comfort for our children, um, heating, cooling, uh, and just, you know, um, overall the accessibility of the the technologies um, that they would need to to be able to learn um, would be my short answer for that one. And I want to circle back to our next guest, Janelle, who's joining us in studio this morning. Janelle, can you just give us a little bit of background and allow the, or your constituents to get to know you or your potential constituents? Yes, thank you so much. My name is Janelle Astorga, running for School Board District 1. Um, I have been working within the education field since I was 13 with different community organizations. I created my own youth group when I was a senior in high school in 2015 that helped students develop leadership skills and advocacy skills, and that group is still going strong today, and it's actually sponsored by the Office of Equity and Engagement at APS. Um, I have experience working within the system of APS and understanding how change works and how systems work. So I'm very um, excited to hopefully bring that skill to the board and make sure that my constituents' voices are actually heard when we have policy or any type of decision-making processes. And we're actually going to head to a quick break. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velasquez. We're talking about the Albuquerque Public Schools Board elections, and we'll be back in a minute. Support for KUNM provided by Rothstein Donatelli, providing Santa Fe and Albuquerque with law offices for criminal defense, Indian law, and civil rights. More information at rothsteinlaw.com. 
Listeners appreciate how nonprofit organizations are helping the community. Nonprofit underwriting at KUNM highlights your work while supporting KUNM programming. To become a nonprofit underwriter, call Aaron Steele at 505 277 2163. When someone says, here's something nobody can do, have you ever thought to yourself, huh, maybe I can do that? Well, for composer Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, it was a challenge like that from his teacher that led to this music. His clarinet quintet is on the way on the next Performance Today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Taylor Velasquez. Today we're talking about the Albuquerque Public Schools Board election. What suggestions do you have to increase proficiency within the district? You can give us a call at 505-277-5866 and let us know, or you can shoot us an email at letstalk at kunm.org. And I actually want to go back to our guest uh, who who could be representing District 1, Janelle uh, Jamie Astorga. I want to give you this question, Janelle. Each school district has their own individual needs and then watering it down a little bit more. Each school has their own individual needs. What are you hearing from students, families, and communities you represent and how do you plan to make sure everyone is well represented and served? Thank you for that question. One of the biggest ways that we can know what's going on in each school is listening to the people at that school. So what I've done in the past is I work with different students and teachers and actually do strategic plans of what they need and what they want to have in their schools that will help them be successful. So from students, we have seen that racism is huge and discrimination inside of schools. And that's something that we rarely talk about, but that's what students are facing. Um, Another thing that a couple of people have mentioned before is infrastructure. We have the ceiling panels falling apart. We have HVAC not working, plumbing not working. I know Verlin had mentioned contaminated water, which is completely true. Polk Middle School right now is in a petition to get their plumbing connected to city water because that hasn't been done, even though we have the money to do it. Um, so that's that's huge and what students not only want, but they need in order to have a safe environment to learn. Um, another thing that we need to focus on is our mental health, right? From the pandemic, we've kind of never talked about that gap that students have faced with learning. So making sure that we have resources within the school to really help students learn about their emotions, develop the skills that they need to talk about that, to, you know, um, even just have access to social workers, anything that might be going on at home. So those are just a few that I could mention right now that students and teachers are talking about. And Robert, do you agree that District 1 has their unique needs and what are they? getting their kids to school on time, transportation. Um, Right now, APS uh, took away the busing if you live in one mile, within one mile of the schools. Um, I'm just right down the street from Pajarito Elementary School. And um, it's definitely right off a a course, uh, 55 mile an hour highway. And the kids can't walk, you know, or I wouldn't feel safe sending my kid to walk down course. that's, you know, that's a very, very big need, um, but also the family needs. Um, again, you know, I've been working with, um, with the families of APS schools for 18 years, like I said before, and seeing all the different um, needs over these different generations, they're all the same. Um, we have uh, just a lot, of, a lot of different family issues that are going on that we have to address and APS can't do it alone. Um, we need help from the state. Uh, so the I've been working with our elected officials down here in the South Valley to and different nonprofits to be able to provide um, assistance to our families. Uh, again, like I said before, to ensure that you know our kids have a, a safe environment um, before they go to school and when they return from school. So um, those are, uh, again, just a couple of things that that I'm definitely working on and I have been working on for for a long while. In Verland, I want to give you the same question. What are you hearing from 
people in their, your district? Um, well, it, it, like you said, it does vary from uh, school to school. Um, however, I mean, a, a lot of the biggest issues that uh, students and teachers end up voicing are logistical. They're just wanting to be in a functional building. Um, and for clarity's sake, the uh, specific limit on transportation is within two miles of any school. Um, and this is instituted by the state, um, which is going to be its own battle on its own, um, just because, yeah, we do have a lot of high poverty areas where within two miles of school is actually an incredibly dangerous area to be in. Um, and that is sort of uh, one of the, it's it's one of those things that have to be advocated for by um, ABS's uh, lobbying sort of folks. And in the meantime, um, we have a lot of problems when it comes to uh, getting kids to school, a lot of problems with truancy, a lot of problems with uh, student outcomes, a lot of problems with just students being engaged in the classroom, showing up and not, you know, spending hall passes, 20 minutes running around, doing anything other than being in the classroom. And I... I I feel the need to, to really ask, especially Robert, to, for five minutes, just stop blaming the community. Every single time we come to an issue, it feels like our answer is is the student's home, as if like we're not supposed to be some kind of balancing force, as if we're not supposed to be some kind of safe haven for these sorts of things. If students are having problems at home, we need robust before and after school programs. We need adequate transportation. Even this morning, I have to drag my little brother here to the studio because I can't just go to Parent View and sign up for a before school program for one day and have a bus come pick him up. You know, the, the fact that that is impossible, that is not something that I can do even as a school board member is, is wild to me. And it seems like we just... It, 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 it's always just been such a tragedy, like being here in APS and doing this work and being around this sort of attitude that APS can do no wrong, that we have no responsibility to fill in these vacancies. It, to me, it doesn't matter what a student's home life looks like. That's almost inconsequential to what we should be doing in the classroom. It, it, it's a lot of the issues that we run into is because our curriculum's unengaging, because our curriculum doesn't actually foster anything they can bring back to their home life. You know, we don't have any sort of service learning. We don't really have the project-based learning. We don't have things that our students can be proud of. They, I have talked to a lot of kids when they do this sort of like hall pass thing or they just don't want to be in class. And nine times out of 10, it's because they're bored because they don't want to be there because they're not doing anything engaging. And it's not necessarily the teacher's fault. A lot of times the schools don't have the resources, they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the technology to really do the innovative 21st century practices that we're expecting from them. Um, but at the same time, as a substitute teacher, I come in and I see the lesson plans that I'm given and I'm given like worksheets or a single question that they need to write down that would take any engaged students like 30 seconds to five minutes to finish. And I have nothing to do with them for the next 40 minutes. And it's it's... I understand the logistical problems of a lot of what APS has to deal with, but at the same time, we do need to start taking responsibility because even with the distinct needs from each school, there is still a baseline level of competency that we are not expressing here at APS, and, and that is, is at the core of what I'm trying to change. And I think you all touched on briefly student outcomes, and this is something that's being talked about nationwide as we're seeing low proficiency rates across the country. However, according to the New Mexico Public Education Department, only 36% of APS students were proficient in language arts and only 25% were proficient in math. How do we get our students reading and doing math at their grade level? Also, should we be considering a different approach to education considering those huge gaps we saw during the pandemic? And Janelle, I'll go to you first. Yes, we absolutely need to look at different ways of teaching and learning. Um, like before I had mentioned, during the pandemic, students were online and learning that way for two years, maybe a little bit longer. And right now, teachers have come forward and said that their students don't even know how to write their name because we're no longer writing anymore. We're typing. And there's kind of this um, gap of learning or gap of understanding that that happened. And again, nobody's really talking about how the pandemic truly affected us, not only through the mental health sector, but through learning and engaging students. Students don't learn the same way as they have before. So being given similar curriculums to what we did before the pandemic is, again, not engaging. It's not interesting students. And if we're constantly having them on a platform of online or different things that include them typing, then that hands-on critical thinking part is missed. 
And a lot of things that we're seeing students want are project-based learning, like Brandon had mentioned. They want to be able to be in their community. And not only does that help students learn and engage, but it keeps them involved. So we're not losing as much students. And I think we see um, a lot of that happen was within APS is we're losing students to more engaging schools, which is unfortunate. And we should be adopting programs that really help students not only learn in the way that they are capable of learning or want to learn in, but that really helps improve their leadership skills or their identity. So doing community-based projects gives them ownership of not only their school, but also their community. So, um, you know, it kind of is a full circle type thing that we have to think about is our education is preparing them to be community leaders. So if we're just giving them tests or just giving them booklets, things like that, that we have to sometimes do because it's state or federally mandated. Um, It's not going to keep our students involved. And Robert, I want to ask you the same question. Are you thinking about creative policies to meet kids where they are in this new and strange post-pandemic world we're seeing? Um, Yeah, definitely for, you know, um, a first step, we need to uh, meet kids where they are. But um, the new... um, Goals and guardrails that are set up, I think, are a great stepping stone right now. Um, you know, we we're talking about reading to get kids to um, to be proficient uh, readers by third grade. Um, that's a great first step, but we can't just hold ourselves and cut off right there. We got to keep pushing, um, pushing our kids. Um, and you know, for teachers to be, uh, I've been in a few schools, and teachers um, are using you know small group instruction. Um, which I I really like. I really think that that's great. Um, that's not the only source, of course. Um, I know teachers have a lot of um, different teachers have a lot of different ways, um, different strategies that they can use um, to to push that proficiency up. But uh, like I touched on a little bit before with the um, early childhood, it, that's definitely where we need to start out at, um, even in even in kindergarten and um, and just keep you know pushing reading and all these all these critical skills that the that children need as a as a great foundation to build upon um, is definitely I, I you know um, I do see other schools as well that are taking a lot of innovative ways to to teach their kids and I think APS needs to be right along with that if not you know be the front runner in that. And Verlin, I'm going to ask you the same question. You spoke about earlier how kids are not engaged with the material that is in school now. So what creative solutions do you have? Um, Well, it's to speak on this, like pedagogically, what I find kind of hilarious is that statistically and like from the studies going all the way back to the 90s, uh, 21st century learning, project based learning, uh, brain based learning was what it was called a while back. Uh, Constructivism is another name for it. All these sort of practices are mainly leading to the same thing, which is sort of reducing the focus specifically on content knowledge and content uh, to more the, uh, sometimes they call them soft skills, but it's the 21st century skills of communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and creativity. Those supersede content knowledge, even the way that our current standardized testing is structured. Um, If you can think critically about the questions and have even the barest amount of content knowledge, you can pass these quests or these um, tests very easily. Uh, And so one of those things where I don't really put a lot of stake in proficiency scores just because I know that the the way that we assess them are foundationally and fundamentally inaccurate to a student's intelligence. Um, But at the same time, if we were to actually implement uh, 21st century practices, those test scores will still go up. These proficiency scores still will go up. And if we do it properly and do it ubiquitously, our... um, statistics increase as well and it's the milquetoast sort of goals and guardrails that we have to me are wildly like inadequate to actually address the issues because the issues belong in curriculum and instruction on top of of course the logistical issues I spoke on earlier Um, when it comes to our like kids engaging engagement is probably one of the foremost issues that we run into and it, it's so frustrating to to see that APS again sort of refuses to take responsibility in 
um, actually doing the equitable practices. I mean, look at the way that we do uh, culturally linguistically responsive education, which is something that can help as a practice that is very good, but it's entirely piecemeal. When it comes to which schools do it, which teachers do it, everything is opt-in, and you end up with um, a lot of kids getting left behind when it comes to these advanced practices. And I want to thank you all for coming on and talking about your candidacy for APS Public Schools Board District 1 seat. This hour is flying by, but we'll try to come back to you towards the end of the hour. And now I want to introduce our next group of candidates for District 2, which covers the West Side area, which covers the areas of Cibola High School and Volcano Vista. We have Adrian Nogales joining us live via Zoom and Ronaldo Tomorito, who's also joining us live via Zoom. And the incumbent for this race, Peggy Mueller-Aragon, said she cannot join us this morning because of a school board-related schedule conflict. So again, thank you all for joining us this morning. And my first question for you all, can you tell us a little bit more why you're running for the board, further what your experience is within the educational field, and if you have other professional experience, what led you here, and what are your priorities if elected? And Adrian, we'll start with you. Hi, yes, thank you for the invite. And uh I don't buy Peggy's story of why she's not here. She hasn't really participated in any of these forums and she's just kind of neglected the community for her eight years as um, school board member in district two. And that's the big reason why I'm here running is uh, and at the beginning of this race, there was actually um, four candidates running against her Two have dropped out. But I think the sentiment is that she's not engaged with families or the community. And she's just kind of a, has a lot of dissent in the school board. There's been votes that have gone six to one. She's the one dissent, and those are teacher pay raises votes. So um, yeah, me as a teacher on Team Teacher, I just wanted to let her know that we do not approve of the last eight years. And um, then also, there's just a variety of issues that you guys have already touched on, many of them, and what's going on with the district. Uh, me in particular, I see teacher vacancies as the problem to everything. The fact that we just keep losing teachers and they keep eliminating positions so that they can play with their statistics APS. Right now they say they only have only 157 special ed vacancies. It's really close to 500. They've eliminated 350 of those positions in the last three years. So I don't buy anything that the district is saying. Um, and I just, um, I call for transparency and I call for the community to get organized since this campaign has started. Five guns have been found in the schools just since we declared our candidacy. And uh, up until two weeks ago, there were still four kindergarten vacancies listed on APS's website. Those have since been removed, but I've seen um, some educational assistant kindergarten positions added. So I'm wondering what's going on there. And um, yeah, there's just I'm just a watchdog and uh, I have a lot of things under my magnifying glass and I'm here to tell the community about it. Ronaldo, you're nodding your head over here on Zoom, but you're also a strong can or advocate for students living with disabilities. Can you tell us about your decision to run? Um, I decided to run just as um, Adrian was stating, you see the issues and you're, um, I'm an advocate for our children with disabilities and have been for 26 years. And the one thing I've always tried to reiterate, if I just attend one IEP, I can truly tell you what that district is made of. And many times we get to see these disparities and we don't, you know, I don't, I, and with the board, we don't dig deep enough where you have these tendencies just to surface show and show everyone that, oh, everything's so good and positive. But deep down, there's some really hardcore issues. And just as Adrian said, the, the the hiring of teacher has to be a priority. If we're gonna hit any of these goals, but I'm also have issues with the goals too, that um, we're not gonna make the needs we need to. And just like Adrian, I do look at that job listing and I've often have questioned our um, gifted and talented teachers all are half time now and they have to travel from school to school. We have many educational assistants that are on that uh, listing. And then you have to question, why do these positions keep changing? And, um, and then when you get to the board level and you listen to the meetings, you're looking at student outcomes and then you're addressing certain issues that aren't real. 
you know, many times that the community has come up and even special education teachers about what is going on in special education. And when you sit down to the grassroots level with teachers and you hear the issues, um, I think there was a good question at I think last week's board meeting, uh, one of these huge advocates and attorney for special ed really spoke up about the kindergarten, first grade and uh, second graders doing really well in the beginning, but by the end of the year, they're very dismal in their reading scores and nobody seemed to know why. And so those questions often um, that are proposed, nobody's digging deep enough to figure out what is really going on. You know, our, our lack of, of really looking at unsafe schools and then trying to also figure out, you know, we got to get to the level of listening to parents, community and teachers. Um, I know that many times we have a tendency, yes, listen to the board for what's going on, but I, I really think right now we have to dig deeper um, as as an advocate, um, looking at these evaluations and understanding them to the intensity that those goals are misunderstood and, and that the IEP teams aren't doing enough. So that's the same way with the board. We're not looking. We're not. We're just not addressing. We're doing more surface work than anything. And I'm going to pause the co- our conversation right here. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. We're talking with the candidates from District 2 about how they're going to strengthen the district. I'm Taylor Velasquez, and we'll be back in a minute. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, we take you to Los Angeles, a city that sits on the largest urban oil field in the country. The story of one young Latina who's decided to take on the powerful oil industry. Something my mom always says is that when she immigrated here from Mexico, she never thought she'd have to fight for our right to breathe clean air. That's next time on Latino USA. That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM. Halloween is around the corner when spooky things can happen. Does your car have gremlins? Is your car a gremlin? If so, you may want to get rid of that spooky old car. With one phone call, you can donate it to KUNM. We'll send a tow truck to your home and drag it away. You get a KUNM membership and a tax deduction too. It's easy and not scary at all. Call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico and KUNM. We're discussing APS school board elections and their candidates and their ideas to change the district and how they would implement those changes. There's still time to call in this morning. Give us a call at 505-277-5866. We also have the links to the question errors filled out by the candidates to the forum held by APS at our website. So you can head on over to KUNM.org to read through those. And I also want to pick back our conversation before the break with the candidates from District 2. Before the break, we talked a little bit about special education. And we also had a listener email who was concerned about special education. She says, how do we plan to address the serious needs for inclusive programming for special education students and resources for families? And how can you support APS with solving the understaffing issues in special education? And Adrian, you're up first for this question. I'm sure you're seeing the impacts of understaffing just in general. But how will you advocate for students with special needs and address our listeners' concern for things like pro- our inclusive programming? Yeah, sure. So this year I actually had a sixth grade student arrive to me and in basically hour number two, day number two, I recognized that the student had autism um, just through my personal experience. And and I started talking to everybody and he's been sitting waiting to be diagnosed for that for two years. So I had to jump over everyone at my school and contact the, um, the people at Highland High School who work directly for the autism in the in across the district. And they got him tested in two days and what do you know he tested autistic so there are students that are just falling through the cracks left and right and um looking into that student he's been at my school for four years so i, I just don't get there's you can't blame the pandemic on that one um and APS used to have a J-1 visa specialist and we would hire about 160 special ed teachers from the Philippines every year before the pandemic. That has since gone away. Uh, Phoenix and Tucson continue to do that. That is an immediate fix. Uh, those are very good teachers. The ones that come from the Philippines have heard nothing but good stories from um, staff members that have them on their on their staff. But that's a three-year visa and then it expires. So it's a bit of a Band-Aid. 
And uh, however, that could be an immediate fix is to recruit teachers from the Philippines right now. Um, and then other than that, if you look at UNM and New Mexico State, they're not producing any special education licensed teachers. So we need to get current teachers uh, endorsed and licensed in special ed so that maybe I could teach five classes of social studies a day, but then also one special ed class of social studies a day so that we can um, mess with the scheduling and make sure that we get the students that need that service in that class and it would make everybody's day that much better and that that situation right there where we get teachers licensed in special ed is the is what they did in mississippi that brought mississippi ranked from number 49 down to number 23 they call it the mississippi miracle we need to be looking at that Renalda, I'm going to ask you that same question. How do we ensure that all students are receiving that equitable education that we all hear through the Yazi Martinez settlement? Well, you know, it's one of those things that, especially in special education, we don't realize that the uh, laws that guide the instruction, IEPs, and also the funding, and many times uh, the on the the parents on the outside are lacking even to understand their own rights. And so when we sit in these meetings, it's one of the things, especially with inclusion, there's this this concept that, oh, inclusion means just including everybody. But at the same time, I know that there were a couple of issues with APS and cutting off the social studies and some of the science programs for the uh, kids with disabilities in the high schools without even recognizing and, and that inclusion means just putting these kids in a general ed classroom without realizing they needed supports. So that misconception of what inclusion really means and how is it incorporated and also these uh, these guidances on how um, teachers highly um, qualified and were lacking in, in really understanding what are the laws that facilitate the instruction of our kids with disabilities. And, I've, and that's one reason why as an advocate, I see so many uh, you know disparities of what we're doing and the lack of even giving a proper education despite funding, IEPs, and the laws and policies that guide special education. Um, in hiring teachers, we have to really remember that, um, especially in the negligence of the law, and then those kids with disabilities, we do have to have those highly qualified teachers. And it says so in IDEA. But we, and it's one of these things of whether we're neglecting or we really sure we understand what's going on. But um, I think right now there's been many lawsuits that um, APS has to coincide with right now that parents are becoming more aware. And, you know, and it's one of these things just as um, Adrian said, we got to get a little more creative in how we're going to get teachers in. But I also feel that APS in itself has to really look internally of why teachers are also leaving. Well, why are we not keeping them here in the district? Because, you know, when you get to the grassroots level and start listening to teachers, you're finding out that many of them want to stay, but also some of the uh, variances of whether the relationship with principal or administrators is really working because there is a set mindset to fulfill these academic roles and needs. But then we're also negating the relationship with teachers, community and parents and how to further this process. And my next question for you is something that I'm sure every single student, parent, teacher, just community is concerned with. As of earlier this month, the United States has seen 58 school shootings in 2023, which sets a new record. In, 22, in 2022, there were 51 school shootings that resulted in either injuries or death. We still have two months left this year. This pro problem hits close to home as just this month, two students at West Mesa High School were arrested for having guns on campus. If elected, how will each of you uh, address campus safety and navigate the concerns of having police on campus as well? And Adrian, we'll head to you. Yeah, there's a lot more to that story with uh, the guns at West Mesa, too. So what happened was a, a kid at my school took a gun from his middle school, Tres Falconis, took a gun from his mom and then went and either gave it to some high schoolers or sold it to some high schoolers. And so first they put my school into lockdown and uh, it was scary. It was um, it was the first time where because everyone was just mentioning a gun and they were mentioning a fifth grader had a gun. And, you know, we have half the parents at our school came to pick up the kids that day. There was a lot. You can see the trauma that is involved with just a scare. So I can't imagine when the gun discharged in West Mesa and then um, the hierarchy at West Mesa, I mean, the hierarchy at APS went ahead and said that it was an accidental discharge. 
a year ago. That kid has since faced his one-year suspension and is now enrolled at Volcano Vista in District 2, which would be the next school over. So these, you know, the fact that they can't clean up one school and do anything, um, it, it spilled over into other schools. And Real Rancho, the night we had our community forum with APS, Real Rancho had a gun in their parking lot. And the next day, the, the school board called an emergency school board meeting and they ordered the, um, it's called the Evolve weapon scanner system for Rio Rancho High School. They didn't mess around, just one day later, they have it ordered. Seven guns at West Mesa and they haven't done anything and they won't put police officers over there. Um, if you look at APS's um, employee records, there's only less than 36 police officers in our district. And a similar district, Austin, has 88 district uh, police officers that are just for the schools. And we're actually, we have more students in our district than Austin does. So there's a disconnect here. They don't want police in the schools. I don't understand why. The people that are on the 36 um, listed employees, most of them are unarmed. They have uh, handcuffs and uh, I think they have, I, don't, I think they just have handcuffs and a, a walkie-talkie and a whistle. So school safety is, it has not been the major concern that it should be for APS. And um, they spent $7.3 million on the Centigix. Um, it's a security card that we should click to put our school into lockdown. They spent that money in May. We're already paying for the reporting system and we don't have that in our hands, teachers, even though $7.3 million were spent half a year ago. And Ronaldo, I'm going to ask you the same question, but we did have students who work with Together for Brothers also email, and they're still concerned about school shootings, they're concerned about school safety, but they're also concerned about police on campus and filtering into that school to prison pipeline as well. So how would you balance that? Well, you know, it's um, one of these areas that's very sensitive because it's, 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 this place of one we're neglecting so many of the um, components of what creates a safe school and then also looking at how are our guns infiltrating into our system and i think that the balance in that too sometimes is that we don't look at restorative justice where um it, it really fathoms me that if a 14 year old or even an elementary kid that would carry a gun to school would receive a felony and um it's when and you know and you're trying to figure out that's for life for these children but at the same time it's also you know when we see these occurrences the question is how are, are we really taking issue to what's going on i think many times a lot of these kids we don't look at some of the formalities of what has occurred in their lives for them to get to this point you know bullying can um, over and over it can increase to rage and when rage is enforced then we don't realize why these children are doing they're trying to answer their own problem because nobody's there to support the issue or to correct what's going on at school so it's one of these things if we take a deeper look of what's at, of what's happening with these kids many times in an iep when i get called out for a kid that either has been is ready to be suspended or expelled all it takes for me is to look at that history of that child and find within those records the school in itself was the problem and they did things and they never corrected it and, and so Ronaldo, these i'm going to have to pause you right there i'm so sorry yes. the hour is flying by like i said before but i want to say a big thank you to you and adrian from district two and we'll hopefully get back to you soon to hear more of your thoughts but i finally want to introduce heather benavidez joining us via zoom this morning she is one of the candidates for district four which serves the highland high school area welcome to the show heather Good morning. Thank you for having me. We also did extend an invitation to the second candidate for this district, Stephen Checo. However, he declined to participate. So, Heather, we're just going to jump right into it. You have a political background as a judge working with the treasurer's office. Why are you running for APS board and what policies are you looking to implement if elected? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, yes, I do have uh, quite a an extensive political background and I've been in um, state and local government for 20 years and um, I have a daughter who's 20 years old and she uh, went to public schools. I went to public schools. My husband did. Um, we are very passionate about education um, and uh, specifically APS and um, the reason I'm running um, is simply because I'm a parent who is concerned about the attacks on public education going on all over the country and here in Albuquerque. And 
we cannot allow it to happen. Public education is the foundation of a healthy democracy. If we allow the extremist groups to infiltrate these boards, change curriculum, make our students less safe, that is not good for any of us. And I refuse to sit idly by and watch that happen. And we're talked a little bit about equity, and I really want to drive home the fact with you that the implementation of Yazi Martinez settlement has been slow to implement, and that covers about 70% of APS's student population. How will you ensure that change will be made and those policies will be enacted, but also followed through? Well, it's a heavy lift, and I think it's something that um, the candidates that I know well and the people that are on the board now, I think it's something we really prioritize. And um, I think it was a wake-up call for everybody, the the decision. And um, although a lot of progress has been made, there's still so much work to do. And I think that um, one of the tasks, uh, one of the four tasks of a board member, uh, budget oversight, is really where we can drill down and find out where that money is being allocated and making sure that those at-risk students are getting what they need. And more importantly, their teachers are getting the tools they need to be to be able to provide the services that these students are in need of. And if we don't do that, if we don't look at where the money's going, then we're not doing our jobs. And so I think that while there are many ways to go about this, I think um, that's the first thing that we should do. The district has also seen enrollment drop by 11 percent in the past three years. Can we get those kids and families back in Albuquerque schools? And what kind of changes do you think need to be made for parents to feel confident for their children to be sitting in APS classrooms? Well, I think that that's um, low, low enrollment isn't just based on um, dissatisfaction, which I think is what a lot of people who want to say negative things about APS will say. And of course, there is that. But, um, you know, we just have to look at this realistically and understand that birth rates are down in general. Um, COVID did a lot to uh, damage parents' faith in education and in the system. And I know a lot of students that were older who were still in school, they simply decided that once they went home, they didn't want to go back. And so, of course, we need to re-engage those students and try to bring them back into the classroom. And there are various ways of doing that. Um, I refuse to think of APS as a district with more challenges than there are opportunities for growth and improvement. And we need to get more teachers in the classroom. We need to engage our students with various ways of learning. We need to make sure that they have state-of-the-art technology. And um, more importantly, we need to make sure that the schools that these students are in are repaired and they're renovated and they're up to code because how can we expect our students to want to be there when they're sitting in buildings that are run down or they're in a school that doesn't have clean water. That's egregious. And that's all the time we have for today. That went incredibly fast, but thank you to everyone who called in and shared your emails. And thanks so much to our guests, Verlin Coker, Janelle Jamie Astorga, Robert Trujillo, Adrian Nogales, Ronaldo Tomorito, and Heather Benavides. This show was made possible by the WK Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Let's keep the conversation going. You can search KUNM Radio on Facebook or email us at letstalk at KUNM.org. If you missed part of the show, you can stream it online or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our engineer this morning was Marino Spencer, Mia Casas, Stranger Calls, Cafe Movahead, and Megan Kamrick produced the show, and we're trying to put together something fun for next week, so be on the lookout for that. I'm Taylor Velasquez. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.